Thanks, Larry. Stephen, I don't know if we could have scripted any better, but Stephen got up here and he talked about uh, the word the mind came to challenge. And that's what I'm going to do a little bit about with today. Um, for those of you who don't know me, most of you do. I don't think there's anybody who probably doesn't. My name's Joe Barwick. I'm a retired Greensboro police officer. Retired September of 2016. Uh, currently, I'm in my way going to nursing school, or at least looking, hoping, got my application in, and hoping to maybe look and, and do some medical missions and bounce around or, or stay at home and drive Beth crazy. I don't know. Um, today, we've got some PowerPoint. I don't know if it's going to work. Um, it's not going to be a sermon per se. It's going to be, I've got these ideas and I've got these things and I'm going to throw it to you guys and I'm going to say, you guys help me figure this out. Um, it's just like when Stevens talked about the man with the two chickens. He may, may, may not make that decision now. It may take him two or three weeks. It may take him five years. But there's a challenge that the Lord has put before us. And I was preparing for this. It scared me. I, I'm not going to lie. I got scared. And I know Joseph had a hard topic Last week when he's talking about sin, I know Joseph was like, Lord, do you really want me to teach this? <laughs> and what I came to in the conclusion, because I struggled and struggled and struggled, and Beth will tell you, for a whole month, I couldn't make this thing work. I can't get this thing to work. I know what I want to say. I have all the verses. I have all the stuff. It won't work out, Lord. It wasn't until 9.30 last night <laughs> did God finally say, this is what I want you to say, what I think I want him to say. 9.30, and I was saying, man, I'm going to quit. I'm going to tell Stephen I'm not going to do this thing. <laughs> What's up? What's going on, Lord? I can't make this thing work, and, and we'll see. Now, I have a tendency to be ADD. And you see me, I, I'm all over the place. And the way my mind works, Stephen's laughing because he knows. Larry knows. I'm here, and, man, then I come over here, and then I come over here, and I do like this, and then I start talking about this, and they go, wait a minute, you were just over here and here. What, what are you doing? And that's me, and I have a tendency. So, guys, shout out if I do that. If I lose you, let me know. The other thing, having someone come to work with me, Larry knows what a heathen, <laughs> and I'll talk about it later, I was at work. And he's like, holy cow, the guy I knew <laughs> that trained me and the guy that's up here are two different things. Matter of fact, Larry and I went to a conference together, and we had a video of it. And uh, you'll see me in there because I've got a blue tie, and I've got a yellow shirt. And believe it or not, at the time, Larry was smoking a cigar. I kid you not. Um, can, we, can you guys get that video up of that? There's actually a video of this conference. Like I said, we're just, it's going to be a little bit choppy today. Do things like different. Michael said he wanted to be a preacher. Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, guys. Guys. Just thought you might want to know. Uh, sales aren't up there. Uh they're down. Ooh. That's me. <laughs> yes, sir. Want a new job? We've got the most. CareerBuilder.com. A better job awaits. I just wanted to start off with a little levity, and, I'll, and I, this actually does have a purpose, and we'll go back to this. Um, because... I'm going to come a little bit hard. I don't mean to come hard, and that's part of my personality. I'm a bull in a china shop, if you ain't figured it out yet. Yesterday, I slipped down the stairs, stepped over my dog's bone, went for a ride all the way down a flight of stairs. Surprisingly, it's not bothering me right now. Um, but I'm used to being around a bunch of guys, a bunch of vice narcotics guys, a bunch of headstrong, A-type personalities, and we say whatever's on our mind. And, I, and, I, and I'll try not to do that. I'll try to <laughs> tone that down. Yes, there you go. Um, so with that, let's, let's go. There, there was a letter that I wrote to the Voice of Martyrs, and it was dated November 1st, 2015. And I think Jan and my dad remember I called, so there's a Voice of Martyrs conference in Raleigh. I want to go see that conference. And I'm going to read about it a little bit here in a minute, but when I went to that conference, I got to hear actual people from the persecuted church speak and talk and what they said was that uh, when I when I got done when I left I was like I'm in a lot of trouble um, I've been living my life the way I want to Monday through Saturday doing whatever and I've always described uh, to Stephen my walk with the Lord has been what I call bipolar <laughs> it's up and down 
And when I'm off my meds, I take my meds to be getting, getting in the Word and having quiet time. When, I, when I'm doing that, I'm okay, but when I'm not, I go far. Sometimes I go too hard and I go too far. And when I sat there and I heard these guys tell stories of being beaten, of being tortured, and all these things for Jesus, I said, what am I going to do when I stand before God? They're standing there, and I'm standing here, and I said, Lord, I, I went spent an hour a week. <laughs> I'm a pretty good TV watcher. It's not, you know, not going to stand up. And driving back from that conference, I'm sitting there thinking, there's no altar call. There's no emotion. It's just, I'm in trouble, Lord. I said, Lord, I'm 100% in. I'm all in. And from that time, things turned, and they just went absolutely crazy after that. So let me just go ahead and go to this letter and read it. My glasses will come on and off. To the staff of Voice of Martyrs. At the conference, which is March 28, 2015, which is my youngest son's birthday, of all things, imagine that, I was shamed to my lack of service for the Lord and realized that I'd been blinded by the prosperity of America and the lies of complacency of the Western American church. All I could think of was sitting in front of God, telling him about my good intentions in contrast to the story of martyrs who gave myself, <coughs> I'm sorry, I who gave their life for Jesus. Pastor Corey talked about the should-have generation. I told myself right then and there I would no longer be a part of the should-have generation. My walk with God has always been up and down, up and down, and up and down. Here lately, I have not been the best witness, and all I could think about was what a hypocrite I have been and how deceived I have been by the leisure, prosperity, and complacency here in the United States and among myself. All of a sudden, I wanted to make up for lost time. I've always kept my witness as something personal, only to be shared when asked. And when the time arrived, now I want to tell everybody about Jesus. I spent the next few days in prayer for our persecuted brothers and God's forgiveness for my lack of faithfulness. A couple of days, I stood and I looked across the woods in my backyard, and I noticed several dead trees. The thought came to mind, do you see those dead trees in the woods? God is going to purge the dead wood from his church here in America. The thought came, and it kept coming to me, and I don't know if that was God's words speaking to me then there. I know that thought is there. I know that's a thought there in the back of my mind. I don't know, and that's one of the things I'll throw out to you, but I think looking, and one of the things we're going to do, we're going to talk about the church, and we're going to go there. Uh, and Ernest talked about victory, but what is our response to the victory that Jesus has won? Because there is, there is a response, there is a requirement, even though it's free. I go on, the first four months after the Voice of Martyrs Conference, I compared and contrasted the persecuted church to the Western American church. And I feel that the per persecuted church has it right, and the American church has it wrong. I feel that the American version of the gospel has not been fully explained, and that a commitment to Christ may cost one his life. The contrast between the persecuted church and the American church has led me to develop what I call persecution theology. And the idea when I looked at this comparison to contrast is you go to a Muslim country, Iran, Iraq, and these guys, when they make a decision for Jesus, it may take them four or five years to make that decision. They're not running down an aisle. They're not praying a prayer. They're not following a formula. Um, and it's under the penalty of death. And that should be our attitude. We should have that same kind of mindset. And that's hard. And you hear me say it, following Jesus is scary. It's hard. And we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, there's going to be two sides of the coin, and I'm going to kind of go bounce around. Um, but that was something that made a difference to me. And I got a little bit upset because it's something that I've always felt that's been missing from the church and Christianity is the idea of challenge. Where is the challenge? I've always loved the military, and I'll talk a little bit about the military today, of that challenge before you rise and meeting. There's no, the, the military, there's no holding back of what you're getting ready to do. You're getting ready to go into combat, and they're going to prepare you for that. But I feel like the church has held back. There's not been full disclosure. And I'm going to go ahead and, and go kind of where I'm going now, but basically is, and it's a paradox, and what makes it hard is Jesus gives us the gift. He gives us a free gift, but that free gift costs us everything. How does that work? How does that free gift cause us everything? And as we'll see, and as I looked through the, all through the Bible when I was looking, 
there is an expectation of us to count the cost and to suffer. I'm sorry, guys, and I'm already going to the end. <laughs> but when we stand before God, not a single one of us, me included, me included, can say, God, I couldn't do that because it was too hard. And he said, you know what? I had an expectation for you to suffer. I had an expectation for you to do this. Now, suffering can take a lot of different ways and a lot of different ways it can come about. And I don't have time to go on all this. We're going on a journey, and we're going to kind of touch on different things. And we're going to throw out different things, and I'm going to say, guys, what do you think? I may be wrong, but I think as a church, and where we're at, we're at a point of, didn't think it was going to come this way, but repentance. Of we have been disobedient. Me, I have been disobedient before God because I haven't counted the cost. I haven't been willing to go forward. And instead of worrying about putting people in these seats, we need to get up out of these seats and go out there. Instead of about worrying about putting them in here. Um, I feel like God is, is moving, moving in the church. And I'm just going to hold off with a letter right there. But that, that letter was uh, two years ago. It took two years for me to say, but it actually took me 50 years to say, Lord, I'm all in. I'm there. Now, I've been to uh, seminary. don't like to say that word. Some people call it cemetery. Got a master's of theological study, and I learned all these great things about the Lord. I went to a fundamentalist Baptist whew, Christian school. <laughs> <laughs> Joy knows we've had these discussions about it. Um, and I knew the word. I'm, and I'm going, but why? Why has not somebody told me i got to count the cost? Why has not somebody challenged me? Why? Why is this thing? Um, and then when I went to the war, some martyrs, it hit and the light came on. Why it took me 50 years to get there, I don't know. I'm 52, and now it's 52. It's taken me two more years to get up here and kind of share this with you. You guys want to go, and like I said, we're going to have to try to make this PowerPoint work. You're going to put up the first line. Can I click it, or can you guys, you don't think it's going to work? Okay. I don't know how well you can see it, this math problem up here. My dad knows about every math that he's had. Um, God says this equation, and it doesn't work out. I just threw it up there. <laughs> I sent something to... Uh, to Michael um, uh, Holton and asked him to give me a thing, I, it, but I didn't get up with him. And the church is preaching two plus two equals four. Now, the thing is, that equation there before us is sometimes when God says this, we don't understand it. We can't see it. we got to work it out. The answer is not readily apparent. But what we like to do as a church is we like to take it and we package it up and we make it neat. And we come and we sit for an hour sermon and we give 2 plus 2 equals 4. But if you remember Michael's sermon a while back, he said 2 plus 2 is negative 753. Did I get that right? <laughs> Anything other than 4. And that's when it gets a little bit more complicated. We're going to skip boards and mortars. I just covered them. And I'm going to be bouncing all over the place. But you heard... Two things I want to refer to and two places I think God is going. And like I said, guys, it's going to sound like I'm bouncing and I'm going, but I'm, I'm going to pull it together, trust me. Hopefully I will, or my wife's going to kill me if I don't. Michael Schamberger, once again, he got up here and he was preaching. I don't know if you are preaching or if you were, just, you were just talking. And we talked briefly about this yesterday. And he says, I'm sick and I'm tired. I want to see God move. Ernest and I, I've heard Ernest say it, get up here. Ernest and I had lunch on Wednesday. And he talked about the same thing. I'm, I'm a little bit tired with this church thing. I'm growing a little bit worried. Cynthia Schamberger, do you guys see the slide that says two Schamburgers in an earnest? Um, <laughs> Cynthia got up here, and she was doing, going to sing during the offering, and her and I talked about it, and she knows this is coming. And she goes, you know, if I have to be honest, she goes, I'm kind of done with this church thing. I'm kind of done. And I said, Cynthia? I came afterwards and I said, I'm glad you said that because I feel the same way. And if you turn on the Christian radio station, you'll hear them preaching. You hear a bunch of preaching. You hear them expounding about the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with that. 
don't take me to think that I'm, I'm downplaying the importance of knowing the Word of God or hearing what he's had to say. But at the same time, when you're hearing them constantly over and over and over and over talk about the Word of God, but they don't ever tell you about what God is doing or the application of how God is moving, it becomes blah, 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 yang, yang, yang. And it wears you out. And it makes you restless. But I think that's a good thing because I think, and I've heard it here in PIC, I've mentioned three, two Schamburgers and an Ernest and me. And I've heard Stephen and others. I think God's moving. I think it's what's called holy discontent. And he's going to put us in a state of restlessness. I think that's what's going on in the world today and all over. And he's, he, he, he's stirring us up. And I talked about it. I didn't read it in the letter, but God started stirring me up and asking me to question these things. If we go to John 6, 60, and I'm going to hit uh, 60 through 61 and 66. Jesus has been, he has a large crowd with him. Got a whole bunch of people. And what I love about Jesus is Jesus turns everything upside down. And he's basically, he's been preaching and he's saying, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. I think Stephen talked about that not too long ago. And so what he says is, therefore, when his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, asked them, does this offend you? From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. You know, there's another story where a man comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I want to follow you. And in the modern church, we say, great, come on. Come on down here, pray this prayer, say this thing, sign this card, do this stuff, sit in our church. And once again, guys, I'm not bashing that. There's a time and a place for everything. God uses everything. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus says, are you sure? The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you sure you want to go? Are you sure this is what you want to do? And he's kind of doing the same thing in this, this verse here. He starts saying this, and I don't know, this is kind of my version, but I think he, he sees the crowd getting inflamed when he starts talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, and he starts to push it. And he starts pushing more and more, and he knows full well what they're doing. And to the credit of the guys that walk away, they got it. Jesus is following hard. It's not hard to do all the things he asks us to do. They got it. And before we become too judgmental on those guys that walked away, there was 11 apostles that went through the same thing, and they went through the fire, and what did they do? They ran away too. But then we go to the book of Acts, and we're going to go to the book of Acts today. And through the Holy Spirit, they come back, and they stand faithfully before God. But that's the one thing I want to drive, drive home here. If anything that we could say today is that we get this fact that following Jesus is hard. Following Jesus is scary, and that's okay. Because when we have that fear, that stuff comes on, that's what's going to drive us to our knees and seek him out. Yeah. Can you? Yeah, there you go. Jesus talks about, I'm going to send your sheep into the wolves. That sounds pretty scary to me. I, that's not, that doesn't look like that's any fun. Have you ever heard of anybody leaving the church because they said Jesus' words was too hard? Usually they say, I don't like the praise and worship man. I don't like the preacher. They don't feed me. They don't do this. They don't do that. Blah, 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 blah. And we're going to see. We're going to compare and contrast the, the, the persecuted church here after a while. Nobody ever leaves and says, Jesus' words are too hard. I can't follow that. But that's, what we, that's me. That's what I need to hear. I need to have that challenge before me. Do we ever leave and say, Jesus, that's scary. I can't do that. Why is that? And we live in America, and there's different things, and we'll, we'll talk about that because there's different ways of serving because part of our suffering may be, I'm going to stop watching some TV, and I'm going to do some visitation. And I've got to make a confession. I was going to try to get to Miss Kay. And I didn't do it. I've sinned before God. 
<laughs> it may be we bake some cookies and we write some cards. It doesn't have to be hard. But there's got to be a cost. There's got to be something to it. It's like Stephen said, the guy was grinning because he, he, he didn't have anything. There's no problem giving it away. But even if you got lots of money, it's easy to sit here and give and do nothing. But when you give and it costs, when you give and when it hurts, that's when it means something. Yeah? The, uh, you think you're going to go to the Olympics? I stole this from my JP's room. And they're just going to give you a gold medal? Those guys sweat and they toil and they work. And they win this, it means something to them. Because there was a cost to it. It has some worth. It has some value. But what do we do in the American church? Do we have the slide, guys, with the... There you go. That's where I'm exactly where I'm at. Well, the salvation message is... Craig, can you hold these up for me? I've got two tickets. One is to Chernobyl, where there's radiation and nobody living, and one is to Hawaii. And they're full, all the way... Paid for vacation. Your choice. Is there any choice which one you want? Man, I want to go to Hawaii. I don't want to go to Chernobyl. I don't want to go get cancer. I don't want to go get in the middle of the nation. There's nothing there. And so sometimes when we get up here, oops, it'll be all right. There's a tendency to preach a sermon and you say, you know, do you want to go, if you die tonight, well, you know if you're going to be in heaven and hell. And that's okay. God uses that. He's used it lots and lots of times. But when we make this decision and kind of say, I want to go to Hawaii, there's no decision. It's a selfish inward decision that I'm taking care of myself. And when the guy's complaining about the church because of the worship band or because of this or because of the pastor and all this, it's selfish. It's because it's all here. It's never because, Jesus, that's too hard. And we as a church that I'm hoping that we'll come together as a body of believers and we're going to figure this thing out because I don't know this is how this is going to play. But we, we all have different gifts. We're all different parts of the same body. So it's not going to be the same for everybody here. It's going to be different. But we need to bring those things together in response to what Jesus has said of counting the cost and following that great commission. Go ahead and bring the next one up. Yeah, let's, and, and let's, let's go here. Let's look at the modern church just for a little bit. Just for, let's do a self-examination. And by modern church, let me clarify that it means like a Western American church. It's a broad, general sense. I'm not in any way talking about PIC, and I'm not necessarily talking about any church in particular. I'm just talking as general. And but like I said, because everybody's different, there's no easy answers. I'm painting broad strokes with broad strokes, okay? But basically, as a church, we've circled the wagons, and we sit with like people who have like ideas, who biblically think the same way, who politically think the same way, who believe everything we do. We're comfortable there. We're comfortable there. Um, we don't want to get out. And I don't know if you can see it, but uh, there's a guy who was, who was a missionary in Sudan. He says, what percentage of time are we spending with sheep or sheep with, sheep or sheep with wolves? It's just, it's just something to think about. Bring up the next one. I, I apologize. It's hard. To, I don't know if you can read this. Can you guys see that at all? Francis Chan is, is, is one of my favorite, but he says, it's crazy if you think about it, the God of the universe, and I love the way he says this, the creator of nitrogen, pine needles, galaxy, and E minor. How do you? That's cool. Put those things together. Uh, he loves us with a radical, unconditional, self-sacrificing love. And what is our typical response? We go to church, we sing songs, and we try not to cuss. Really? And I think there's a part of it's not, there's Adam Ant had a song from the 80s, Goody Two-Shoes. You don't drink, you don't smoke, what do you do? Goody Two-Shoes, Goody Two-Shoes. You remember that one, Larry? Just like the Pharisees, we're worried about behavior. And, and, and once again, I'm not saying that it's not important because it is. But instead of going out and serving God, you know, we have this, this tendency of, of, I don't do these things, they're going to know I'm a Christian. 
I submit to you they don't know we're a Christian because we're out there doing it. If the tree falls down on the house and it's four in the morning and you're out there with a chainsaw on the heart, out there with the chainsaw and you're getting that log helping your neighbor off your house, I think you've earned a right to share the gospel. Not necessarily. If we're out here serving the homeless, or if we're out here doing visitations, or we're out here doing these other things, whatever it is that God calls us to do, what can they say about the church? They can't say nothing bad about the church. And I think that's part of what Jesus, where he wants to go. That's part of that cost. That's part of the challenge set before us. Francis Chan uses another example, and you guys may have heard this. He says, he tells his daughter, says, go clean your room. How many times, Brandon, we could your mama tell you go clean your room? This is Brandon's shirt, by the way. I had to just wear Brandon's shirt today. And it goes two or three weeks, and she comes back. She goes, I did it, Daddy. And he said, what did you do? He said, I memorized your word. Really? Did you clean your room? No. But, Daddy, we, we invited friends over, and we sat down, and we had a small group, and we talked about it. Did you clean my room? No. That's what we're doing, guys. And I'm, once again, I'm not, I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm not saying this is bad. I'm just throwing this out here. I'm throwing it out. What do you think? Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. is on the line with what's going on with our family and probably I've told you a little bit like four or five days or a week ago I called my mom and I said mom listen I knew it was a message from Francis John it's about how um, 90% of the churchgoers are going to hell and what are we as uh, people doing and it touched me so much because I felt I'm not condemning myself but I fall into that go and sing songs and go home and nothing happens. So that, that message moved me so much that I called Brian and said, Brian, we've got to do something. I'm sick of this. <laughs> this is my word. <laughs> and I'm, I told him, I'm really sick of this. I'm tired of sitting down. And I think God is doing something. And so we've been praying about, I mean, we have, this is our church, so we've been praying about our church too. And last night the kids, Brian came down after he put the boys to bed and, there was a passage. My boys gave their life to Christ last night. It was a very important time for us. And the message was entering through the narrow door. And both of them prayed and said, Lord, help us go through the narrow door. Like, make every effort to go through the narrow door. And it was not a prayer of salvation, I accept you, Jesus. Or, But it was like one of the boys cried, actually, in Brian's arms. and said, Lord, I want to like, make sure I go through that narrow door. So God is doing something. I'm sorry I took the microphone. It's just I want to share about that. So. That's perfect. That's, it's two Schamburgers and an Ernest and an Aida now. Um, <laughs> holy discontent. I think he is. I think God, we talked about, we had some prayer and fasting, but I think God is moving in this church. And it doesn't matter. We're a small church. I drive by Westover all the time. Nothing wrong with Westover. That's who I went with to go to my trip on Lebanon. Nothing on them. Jesus only picked 12 disciples, and they turned the world upside down. God, and he talks about it. We'll talk about this. He made, he's made per- perfect in our weakness. His strength comes through in our weakness. So that's, that's, that's nothing to worry about. Let's, uh, next slide. Man, it's hard not having any control. Keith Green, if you remember, back in the 1980s, I don't know if anybody knows this guy. If you saw him perform, he was getting frustrated with the church back in the early 1980s. And this is kind of a picture of what he had somebody do a rendition of the church. If everybody's up there, they're standing, they're kind of doing their own thing, and everybody's drowning around them. I'm just saying, guys, I'm just throwing it out there. You guys are going to hurt. <laughs> Get tired of me uh, saying that. Can we go ahead and go on to the next one? As we're doing this self-examination to kind of give us an idea of where we're going from, where, where we're at, and where we're headed to, we want to once again look at the American church. Now, look, the church is in decline. Once again, you can't see <laughs> the, uh, the whole graph there. We have nice praise and worship bands. We have nice facilities. We have all these things. The church in Acts has nothing. And they said, what? They were adding 3,000 one day. They were adding 5,000 the next day. They experienced persecution. They were growing. We go to the persecuted church, and we'll do some comparison here. They're growing like crazy. 
What's the American church doing? What's wrong? Why are we following marketing strategies by Madison Avenue to get believers in when they don't have any of that? I'm just, something's there. Something's not amiss. And like I said, I think part of that, what's amiss and where I'm going, if I haven't said it already, Beth, I said it yet, there's been a lack of a full disclosure of the gospel. And it's like, yes, you're going to come follow Jesus, but it's going to cost you. And we need to know that up front. Because we can't stand before God because, and we'll talk about this of being, because <clears throat> if we have non-disclosure, this is what it took me until 930 to get to last night. I'm letting it out early. If, if we have non-disclosure from a legal point, it, it absolves us from any kind of requirement. It absolves us from any kind of commitment. It absolves us from any kind of responsibility. But when we have full disclosure, uh-oh, now we have accountability. Now we have responsibility. And I think that's where God is going. That's why, that's why we need to tell it. And when we don't tell it, people think they can come down here, they can say a prayer, they can sit here an hour each week and think they've done something. I'm guilty. I'm the biggest heathen of them all. And as, as we're talking about the church, you know, we talk about church. I'm just as guilty. I'm, I'm, I'm no different. Can we bring up the, what you got next? Yeah, that, is that the growth of the persecuted church? Yeah, the persecuted church on the rise. Go ahead. And, um, we're going to take a real brief look at the persecuted church. And I don't know if you can see it, but here it says 255 Christians are killed. 104 Christians are abducted. 180 Christians and women are raped, sexually harassed, and are forced into marriage. 66 churches are attacked. 160 Christians are detained and imprisoned without trial. And that's, that's every month. That's from Open Doors. If you're familiar with uh, Brother Andrew, God Smuggler, the guy in the 60s who smuggled Bibles into Russia and communism. He's got an organization. That sounds pretty scary to me, guys. Um, let's go to the next. Look at the difference. They've got comfortable seating. We do. And uh, the, the, the lady there, she's from North Korea. She says the toilet in the prison is the only place they could go to worship. You can go ahead. Yeah. We have a nice building. They have no building. Nice lighting. And then here, here's another picture. This is from, uh, I think, Voice of Martyrs. Uh, in North Korea where they're reading the Bible with no lighting. We got Bibles upon Bibles. I don't even be embarrassed to tell you how many Bibles I got in my house. Um, when I go to the Family Life bookstore, my father-in-law used to work and manage that. Sometimes as a part of me, I get sick, guys. I, don't, I, don't, I go in there, and, and one reason, I'm not saying just to say it, because it's predominantly... All white male American authors, there's not too many minorities, there's not too many people from foreign countries talking about some stuff. But we have all this stuff, and I think that's the very thing that God is going to use to condemn us, so to speak, when we stand before him. You had all this stuff. You see right here, you can't see it, but there's a guy who said that he would give a goat all he had for the Bible, uh, and then they take it and they rip it up and they pass it out. We're educated. Joseph, you talked about this last week, about being educated. Nothing wrong with education. It's a good thing. Stephen, he didn't want to go be educated. <laughs> he didn't want to go to seminary. They asked Brother Yoon, who's one of the leaders of the house churches in China, they said, where did you go to seminary? He said, prison. When we were in Lebanon, there was a seminary that we stayed at. I didn't get a chance to talk to him. My buddy John Matthews did. And one of the guys was from somewhere in Africa. And he said, yeah, we're coming, we're going to learn here, and once we go back, more than likely they're going to imprison me for five years. So he goes to seminary knowing that when he goes back to his country, more than likely he's going to have to do five years <laughs> right off the bat before he can even get going. It's about mindset, isn't it? It's about attitude. Praise and worship, no praise and worship. We'll go ahead. <sighs> what can you say? Comfort and urgency? That's me sitting on the couch watching TV. I can't even pray five minutes. How hard is that? Fifteen minutes, whatever. Sometimes that's part of the sacrifice. It may not be 
Not all of us are called to persecution. Not all of us are called to be tortured or beaten. But we're called to pray. We can all pray. We can all put some sides. As part of that suffering may be, I'm going to skip that tennis, that tennis shoot. I'm going to skip that television show. And I thought about this. Have you ever thought about it? Usually if I fast and pray, I fast and pray for myself or because I need to hear from the Lord. But have you ever thought about, I'm going to, pass, I'm going to fast and pray for Stephen? Or Michael, or the persecuted church. Am I? Am I gonna? I'm gonna skip lunch today, and I'm gonna go pray for somebody else other than myself. That's just another form. That's just another thing we can be doing. Go ahead. I'm gonna, I'm... There's a few things when we talk about full disclosure. You might want to know the uh, the the. Pharmaceutical companies, of course, during the news, they always advertise things and they downplay their disclosures, right? They show this happy scene and talk about how you could have, you know, where your muscles will shake for the rest of your life and you'll have diarrhea and all these terrible things. And they're smiling. Uh, they're saying, no, this isn't really true. They kind of, a little deceptive spin. You buy a car that has flood damage, bed bug warning. You'd like to know that before you stayed in a hotel, wouldn't you? It makes a difference. Um, now, if you know... You're looking at a flood-damaged car, you can start to count the costs. You can figure out, can I get this? Can I fix this? Is this worth it to me? And we're just looking at full disclosure. Go ahead. And I've already talked about this, but the, the non-disclosure absolves us from all responsibility and full disclosure uh, holds us accountable. Just real quick... And if I get on time, Stephen, get me. <laughs> He's like, okay. The military, and I want to just hit the military real quick, they give you full disclosure. They know where they're going. Uh, one of these guys are called the PJs, they're pararescuers. They're close to the Navy SEALs and the training they go through, but that's their motto, these things that we do that others may live. I think it's pretty good. They endure hardship of training for two years in something they called the, the pipeline. I'll do one prop. But one of the things they do is they do something called buddy breathing where they've got, a, they've got a snorkel. And me and Larry were over here, and I don't know if you've ever had to tread water without your hands and hold it up in the air. It's pretty hard. He's treading water. I'm treading water. We've got one snorkel. Our heads can't come above the water, and we're sharing the snorkel back and forth the whole time. And while we're doing it, the instructors are coming and they're grabbing the top of the snorkel and blocking the air. They're taking them and they're pushing them down under the water and they're holding them. And basically they're trying to push them past the point where they can't go any further, where they don't think they can go any further. And they're training. And I'm not suggesting, can we get the next one up, that we have to be that hardcore, we have to do that things, but I just want to kind of look at some of the ideas because I think this is some of the same mindsets we have to have as Christians. Um, the only easy day was yesterday. We're all in all the time. When I talk about Lord, I'm 100% in. Semper Fidelis from the Marine Corps, always faithful. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. These things we do that others may live. Uh, comfort is the enemy of success. Life in combat is not fair. There's a point, and I don't have the time to get into it, but when there's suffering, whether it's from cancer, it's from personal thing, personal loss, and suffering as of persecution, they all kind of come together. Because we talk about it, and we don't have time to do it, but Job had to even submit his innocence before God when he went there. If you, if you look at the uh, very end, we used to call Jodies when you run. Have you, have you sang any Jodies when you've done any PT? I don't know if you can repeat any of those Jodies. I don't know what they're doing in chaplain school or not. But one of them went and said, if I die in a combat zone, uh, box me up and send me home. Pin my medals on my chest and tell my mom I did my best. Sang that a whole bunch. What is that doing? It's preparing those guys to die. It's preparing those guys when they go forward that they may have to give the supreme sacrifice. And it's there and it's in the back of the mind. So when we become Christians, when we become to Christ, that should be in the back of our minds. Box me up, send me home, put my medals on my chest, tell my mom I did my best. That's where we should be. 
I throw these out here, maybe some things just to think to kind of give us an idea. Go to the next one. Yeah, the call to Jesus is a free gift. It costs us everything. Kind of got the terms and conditions we have to check. You know, you can't go on to the next website until you check the terms and conditions. We don't think of it that way. We think of it as, as, as free gift. I can do whatever. No, there's some terms and conditions there. <laughs> it's just not ready to parent. Go ahead. I'm going to skip that one on time. We'll just we'll keep right on rolling, keep going. Part of the reason it's hard and part of the things we come through, and I'm going to come back to this verse and leave it right there, but Jesus talks about separating the sheep and the goats. And when he does, he basically is telling these guys, and I'm going to read it. Um, can you read, what is the verse up to Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Um, he basically says, depart from me, you guys, because I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me something to drink. I can't read it. Um, I was, can you give me the rest? I can't. Yeah, I was in prison, you couldn't visit me. I was a stranger. You didn't see me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. What do you see? We see hunger, thirst, stranger, naked, prison. These are all things that we can do, guys. These are all things that are giving us an idea. But what is the implication? And there's a paradox here. Jesus, the implication of these verses is, is that you get to heaven by what you did and didn't do. Now, that's not true completely, guys, because there's two, there's two sides of the coin. Two sides of the coin. One is heads and one is tails. This is heads and this is tails. And there's a, there's a balance there. So, yeah, we are saved by grace. Pull up the next one, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Uh, you got to go back. For by grace are you saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not from works that anyone should boast. But then we go back to James, and James says, you can see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. I'm not saying there's a contradiction there. I'm saying there's a tension. And I think God is two sides of the same coin, and I think God has intentionally put in that tension there. I think it's by holy design that tension is there. God's not going to make it easy, and I may offend somebody, but I don't think all the answers are in the Bible. I don't think God makes it that easy. I think if we go through a hard time, Joseph, we can't dial up a verse and just make it happen and make it better and go away. It's not going to happen. But God says, as we sung earlier, that he's victorious and he's there and he's with us. He's going to sustain us. He didn't say it was going to be easy. We need to know that up front and going in. Jesus turns everything upside down, and I'm going to fly through this just to, to, to make this point. What does Jesus say? He says, the last will be made first. Humble yourself to be honored, to live, you must die, surrender your life and save it. When you're weak, you are strong. Difficulties are a reason for joy. Freedom is found through slavery. We gain everything through losing everything. To lead, you must serve. We're going to be last humble. Look at death, surrender, weak, difficulty, slavery, losing everything and serving. Sounds pretty hard to me. It's not a new problem. 1937, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about cheap grace, and I won't go through that, but he, he basically, he just talked about how that we take this gift that God has given us and we cheapen it. We kind of trample upon it when we don't act upon it. Uh, there's also some, some uh, preachers that have come forth, David Platt, John Piper, and a bunch of them, and they're saying the same thing, and they wrote some articles and declarations, and at the beginning of it says, we are convinced that the gospel of Jesus Christ has been misrepresented, misunderstood, and marginalized. And as a church, that's what we need to overcome. 
I'm going. Let's go real quick to the book of Acts. And let's look at them. We've looked at the modern church. We've looked a little bit at the persecuted church. And let's look a little bit quickly at Acts because there's something that really stands. If you go to Acts 4, Acts 5, Peter and John get thrown in jail. They get persecuted. They go back and they tell the brothers and sisters what's happened. And the church goes to God and and instead of praying, take this from me, they pray for more boldness and God shakes the church. Amazing response. And, you know, it hadn't been long after Jesus' death and they're already facing persecution. So then they go back again, and this time it's all the apostles, and they're preaching in the temple courts, and they get arrested, get thrown in jail. An angel comes, gets them out. But look what the angel says to them. He sa- after he gets them out, he says, go and stand in the temple and tell the people the full message of this life. And then Luke uses the word, in obedience to this, they enter the temple complex at daybreak, and they begin to teach. Now, if we fast forward, we go a little bit further, they get arrested again. Because they're like, where in the world did these guys go? Well, there they are. They're out here in the front of the temple courts, and they're preaching. What happened to them? Let's go. Does anybody know what happens to them? They want to put them to death. The Sanhedrin wants to put them to death. And uh, a Pharisee talks them out of it. And decide to give them 39 lashes. 39 lashes. It says, after they called the apostles, they had them flogged, ordered them to speak, in the, never to speak the name of Jesus, and released them. And then they went from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted to be worthy of dishonor on behalf of the name. We read that, and we read it, and we move on. We sing hallelujah, and we pray. But think, think about 39 lashes, guys. That hurts. Do you think they walked a little different the next day? Do you think they winced to somebody wanted to slap them on the back and tell them a good job? Do you think they were sick or they're nauseous? And what's it say? The angel said, go out the next day, and he says they were obedient. So the implication of that is that their obedience to God is what got them flogged. That's scary. Following Jesus is hard. We're not all going to have to do that, guys. We don't all have to do that necessarily, but we need to start looking at ways where we need to start counting the cost. We're just going to the next one. Um, They had some full disclosure. Jesus didn't, and this is part of it. This is part of this full disclosure thing. Jesus warned them. If you go to Matthew 10, 16 through 19, what does Jesus say? Look, I'm sending you out. I like sheep among wolves. We've already talked about that. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and harmless as doves, because people will hand you over to the Sanhedrin and flog you in the synagogues. Beware of them. They knew it was coming. They had an expectation. Why did they have an expectation? They had full disclosure. It was laid before them. And it's just like we talked. When those disciples, when Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, they say it's too hard. They got it. They left. That's more than a lot of us can say because we don't get it because we continue to sit here and do the same thing. Me. I'm sorry. I don't mean to say you, but, it, but it's me. Disciples did the same thing, right? We talked about that. They ran the first time too. Second time around, they got it. They remembered what Jesus said because he'd, he told them. He warned them. It's coming. Go to Paul. We'll go to the next slide. Um, Paul, when Paul is converted in Acts 9, 15 through 16, he goes to Cornelius' house, and what's the first thing that the God tells Cornelius to tell Paul is, he's going to be my servant to the Gentiles, and he has many things he must suffer for me. Right from the get-go, full disclosure. Let's go to the next one. In Acts 14, 21 to 22, Paul has gone forth, and they've, had, I don't know, a tent revival, whatever you want to call it, and they've had many people come to the Lord, and they've got to teach these new converts. Look what he says. is after they had evangelized the town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith by telling them. This is how, they, this is how they're encouraging them by the faith. 
It is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. Right up front. They encouraged him. Is that encouragement? Does that sound like encouragement to anybody here? Wow. Wow. Why is the church, why am I not, why are we not saying this? Why are we not laying this challenge out here? I think that's why our church is in decline. It's known to the church in Acts, they're growing. It's known to the persecuted church, and they're growing, but not here in America. And we're sitting here, God, why don't we see you working? Because I've been disobedient, because I haven't counted the cost, because I haven't put these things aside that I need to do to follow Jesus. Jesus, what did Jesus say? And we're going to hit these fast. And I kind of had written this up, and Ernest had said, I showed him to Ernest, and Ernest says, you need to pass these out to the people at church. And it's just kind of a list of what Jesus has to say on this whole matter, because Jesus is the final authority, right? But I got here, and I says the question of disciples being flogged is steeped in the fact that they acted out of obedience. And the question comes, and Jesus says, if we're not experiencing some of these things, are we disobedient? Some of these things on the list. And I kind of did this thing. This is a full disclosure form, and this is an application form to go work for Jesus, Inc. And he says, we're going we're gonna to give you some full disclosure. If you come and you want to come work for Jesus, Inc., this is what you can expect. Deny yourself and take up your cross daily. Lose your life for Jesus. If you save your life, you'll lose it. You must be willing to hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, and yes, even your own life. You'll be hated. There's a possibility you'll be put to death, betrayed by your family members. You will be sheep sent out among wolves. You will be subjected to becoming homeless. Mm. You will be arrested and flogged. Once you start, you can't look back. Ernest kind of keyed on that when we talked about once you, He talked about once Jesus says you start to plow, then a man turned around and looked back and see what he's done behind him. He's not worthy to come to my kingdom. We're always moving forward. If you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. Ask and look at these requirements and working conditions and count the cost. And in that story, we don't have time to go over it. Jesus talks about sit down. It's not no fast, emotional, rash decision. He said sit down and think about it. Count the cost. And in some ways, he's almost saying is don't come. Don't even come. If you're willing to cost, count the cost, because that's what he says. He says, you want to follow me? Are you sure? Where'd my, missed my list. And then if, if you've got to be willing to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Just even saying that statement's just, uh. I'm going to the conclusion, and I'm pulling it in, and like Joseph says, we're, we're rounding the corner. And there's four more verses, and I'm not going to go through them all. Oops, that one slipped in there. Keep going. Um, well, we can leave it there. Just leave it there for right now, up there. But if you don't figure it out now, there's a lot of verses in there that talks about that we need to suffer. First Peter 4 says, since therefore Christ suffered, arm yourselves with this way of thinking, of an attitude and a thinking of knowing what we're going into. Jesus, in a way, it's hard We've talked about the paradox. We've talked about two sides of the coin. But he, he says, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in the Good Samaritan, he says, your neighbor's basically your enemy, those you hate. They're not excluded. They're your neighbor too. And go out and tell all the nations and make disciples. That's it. That's basically it. I mean, there's more to it, but then in a nutshell, that, that is it. And we come back to feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, show the stranger hospitality, visit in prison. And I'm just going to stop here and I'm going to leave you with a video. Um, a guy named Lecrae, and it's some rap music. So if you, if you make it, feels you make it a little bit uncomfortable. That's good. I want you to be uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable up here. We've got to get comfortable being uncomfortable, right? He's going to kind of call the church out. Oh, can you stop it just a minute? <laughs> um, and like I said, we're not called necessarily to do all these hard things. 
And if, and if I say it once, I want to say it again. We're different members of the same body. We have different gifts. There are no answers that is going to be. That's why I'm not coming here with a formula like I showed you before and saying this is the way we're going to do. We've got to do X, Y, Z, or one, two, three. It's going to be as God leads and directs. It's going to be as we stand in the middle of the, the coin and feel that tension. And so I'll just leave you with this, this here.
just real quick as a moment of prayer. That was a little bit gritty, maybe a little bit in your face. That didn't mean to be, but I think that's part of that full disclosure that we need to do and we need to see. Um, I wanted to close with where I started from, and it's First John. If you go to First John 3.16. And we'll leave this as our prayers will go out today as our word of encouragement. This is now how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother needs but closes his eyes to his needs, how can the love of God be inside him? Little children, we must not love with words or speech, but with truth and action. That's it. Well, amen. Am I feeling encouraged?